This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, opinion leaders, and authors. Season 10, Episode 4. Gavin Newsom's handling of COVID is both an advantage and a liability in the recall. Talking with Kaiser Health News journalist, Angela Hart. With the recall election less than a week away, the governor's handling of COVID has been at the center of the campaign. Joining us today to discuss the issue from her office in Sacramento is journalist Angela Hart with Kaiser News. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, Angela, here we are less than a week from the recall. And where where do we stand? And of course, COVID has been a major focus of this campaign. Of course, Kaiser Health News, that's been a major focus for your coverage. Where do we stand with the recall? Where do we stand with the governor's record on COVID? I would say at the outset, the governor and his handling of the coronavirus pandemic is the backdrop for this entire recall. I think now, yeah, we're, gosh, I believe we're only a week out. It's been really a wild ride. <laughs> this entire recall is unquestionably about the pandemic. The Republicans who have been pushing this recall have sort of tried to make it about other things in some ways. You see candidates talking about homelessness. And even the governor, Newsom, has been in some ways trying to make the recall attempt against him as about something more than the pandemic. Values around the Democratic Party are at stake and the national agenda is at stake. When you hit the pavement and when you really start talking to voters about why are they supporting the recall or why are they backing the governor, you know, still, even despite some failures, really everything comes down to the pandemic. And so I think that's the first important point that will be, you know, remembered in the history books. And one thing that has surprised me and and being out there and talking to people is more than anything, you know, it takes a long time for, I think, voters to start to understand the politics of a of a governor and to understand sort of how they operate. Voters in California are getting that in record speed. I'm surprised at how voters are really starting to understand the governor. They're getting to know him, not only as a like as a person, but as a politician. And I've heard that as I've been out there. I was out in my neighborhood. I live in Oak Park in Sacramento, largely African-American neighborhood. And I was out talking with voters last weekend and you hear really just shocking things that I sometimes it takes people a little bit longer to to see, you know, politicians for sort of who they are. And people have said things to me like Newsom should be facing a recall all the time. You know, Democrats who who are basically saying to me, you know, he has stepped up in the pandemic and that has forced him. Uh, the recall has forced him in some ways to do a better job. And so that's been really in- interesting and surprising to me. Now, one of the things that surprised me with this recall is that the governor, instead of touting his successes, touting his record, he keeps coming back to this is a Republican recall, and he he hasn't spoken about his successes. It seems to me that in your conversations with members of the public, that they seem to be satisfied with his handling of COVID. Is that a, is that a correct assessment? You know, I would not say that. (laughs) Um, I would say that this is a very good politician. Gavin Newsom knows retail politics well. He knows 
how you know it's how to own the stump speech he really is a great campaigner he's very good i mean look at what we have seen this week we have seen former president obama come to his side we have president biden is coming to campaign for him next week um we have witnessed uh, vice president kamala harris photo op yesterday stand beside gavin newsom and so he has pulled out the cavalry He's been able to do something in his campaigning. In some ways, it's been he's been lucky. He has claimed success on COVID. I would argue if you scratch beneath the surface just a little bit, you don't have to go that deep to find failure. This governor likes to claim success. He can claim success. California has a lower case rate, for instance, than Florida and, yes, Texas. California has done stronger vaccination mandates. I would point out... California doesn't have a mask mandate, a statewide mask mandate. We have not made that decision. California has not made that decision because of the science. If you look at the data, shows that some of the case rates are higher than they were last year when we watched the governor parade around talking about how much we need a mask mandate and how much California was leading because of it. That's all to say this governor picks and chooses where he has been where he can claim success. And sometimes that paints a broad brush over some of his failures. Now, California has little, there's little pockets yes. in California. There's mm-hmm. Texas in California. There's little pockets of Florida's in Texas, where especially if you look at the infection rates and black and brown communities, there is a crisis. People are suffering and people feel let down by Governor Newsom in many ways. And so getting back to this point of he has been lucky. Yes, California is doing better, but that obfuscates some of the failures that rest in these pockets of California. And the governor, to a certain extent, is cherry picking successes to campaign on. That's what he does. He's a politician. I just think sometimes we need a little bit of a reality check. Let's come back to the uh, the pockets that you referred to of black and brown people. And let's focus for a moment on the Latino community. I read a poll a couple of weeks ago that showed that early on, some 54% of Latino voters, and Latino voters are a very significant voting group block in California, that some 54% of Latino voters were looking to support recall. And of course, as we know, the Latino community, particularly in the Central Valley, but throughout California, has been especially hard hit with higher infection rates, lower vaccination rates, very heavily impacted by the unemployment caused by the pandemic, and also heavily impacted by the fact that their kids have been out of school for almost a year. And at the same time, these long-distance learning programs that the schools were touting haven't worked very effectively with the Latino community. Can you speak to the effect of COVID on the Latino community and how that might translate into support or lack of support in the recall? So I would say, and I was just in the Central Valley this past weekend talking with a family for a story I'm working on, uh, immigration status family. The parents are undocumented and there's five kids who were born here. So they've been here. The eldest kid was 24 years old. So they've been here for over a couple decades and mm-hmm. and they feel let down. They feel let down by the governor. And I think this is an example, just kind of a window into some of the you know, some of the complexities that, you know, rightfully this governor is having to sort of balance. This family felt that the governor hadn't paid enough attention to their plight economically. 
Um, he had not done enough for them on health care. Many uh, families, including those who are here, even with residency, can't afford health care. They can't access their health care. They didn't have any water. They they told me this, I mean, this harrowing story of having to go six weeks without water. And they've got cows and sheep out in their yard. There's a, some ag fields that are sucking the water out of the ground, literally adjacent to their property. And so they felt the governor hadn't done enough on the drought. And so you can see these are some of the things that Republicans are hitting Newsom on, right? You're the drought. And also some things that liberals are hitting Newsom on, not doing enough, not being strong enough on COVID protections for farm worker families, for example, or work, working families in general. So there really, it really is a study in contrast. Latino voters are not a uniform voting block. They're not a, it's not a, it's not an easy, you know, here is how the Latino community votes. There are, there's some big conservative streak ideology within Latino communities. You know, it's the same true for African-American communities. These are not a singular voting block. But if you one thing I will one theme that does rise to the surface is people feel that Newsom, I think this cuts across both of those populations, has over prioritized wealthy Californians, largely at the expense of lower income people. And this is true not only in the covid pandemic response. This is a governor who has undermined the public health care system by outsourcing the state's pandemic response to the private sector largely. We see that not only with COVID, we see it with homelessness. This family I was talking to in the Central Valley was terrified to complain about their housing, substandard housing conditions, because they didn't have anywhere else to go and they knew that the landlord would kick them out. These families have no recourse and Newsom has been absent in their lives, is what they told me. And so I just think that there's some overarching themes that, again, this stuff is coming back to dog Newsom in this recall fight, but it's always been out there. This is a, this is a, a brand that Newsom will, has and I think will continue to have a difficult time escaping, right? Liberal, wealthy, elite San Francisco politician. He has done himself no favors in the pandemic by getting rid of that nomenclature, right? French laundry. And and I would even argue his policies have furthered that alienation in some communities in California. Well, that's that's interesting. On the other hand, as we look at the polls, he appears to be pulling away from the from the pack. He seems to be moving into positive territory. Now, of course, the fact that every single voter in California received a mail ballot in their mailbox, that's going to facilitate probably a, a higher turnout. How do you how do you square that with the polls? I mean, what you're hearing from what you're hearing in the Central Valley, what you're hearing from from black and brown communities versus where the polls seem to be headed. It really all boils down to fear. It really does. And you'll see headlines. There's more and more headlines. You know, I've been talking with and <laughs> sort of complaining about this or like to myself, really <laughs> yelling at myself about this. This is a governor who was raising fears about restrictive abortion moves. You know, Texas and Florida Republican governors are doing worse than California. It wasn't that long ago where this stuff was more of a stretch. There, It wasn't that long ago that California had par some of the worst infection rates again and we've already talked about the fact that many communities here still do have major problems that have yet to be addressed and what we've seen has been pretty remarkable in short order we have seen 
the abortion issue become a very real and palpable fear. Gosh, people are scared in California about the loss of Roe versus Wade and the loss of abortion protection. So Newsom was early. He's again, he's really an expert politician and he saw this issue. It was kind of a sleeper issue and it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. And he can rightfully claim success on having better COVID numbers. So in some ways, these are reflections of policies that not only he, but state lawmakers have pressed that even predate him, right? A lot of California's abortion stance and moves, for example, have been long percolating and are being spearheaded by lawmakers, not the governor himself. Even on some of the COVID measures, I mean, it's just a lot of this stuff has turned in his favor and people are freaking scared. People are scared and there's now... Newsom can rightfully point to there is a reason to be because this stuff is more palpable than it has been. And so I think he's been lucky. And also um, there have been, I think people, and and I don't want to do, I don't want to be unfair to him. There are some people who I've talked to who say, no, we think, you know, Newsom has been dealt many crises and he's doing the best he can. And he's got a big job. California is a big state. You know, we're going to stick by him because we think his head's in the right place. Well, Let's move on to the Medi-Cal measure, which is going to come into effect starting in January. You wrote an article for the, the LA Times on that, and that's going to represent a very significant change, particularly for the homeless and how homeless get their public health. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is very, actually remarkably flying under the radar, and rightfully so. Probably this is a now recall campaign has become a national story and a national issue for the governor trying to keep his job. Behind the scenes, Governor Newsom and his administration have been steering a major five-year transformation of the state's Medicaid program. This is a big F deal. (laughs) This is a BFD. (laughs) This is a BFD. It, you know, this is a Medicaid in California covers ha- um, nearly a third of the state's residents. It covers half of all kids in California. This is a public health insurance program that is supporting not only people who are low income. This is a program that is available to the homeless people who are filling up the streets and sidewalks out there and the highway underpasses. This is the state safety net system, and it's being transformed in really dramatic ways, $6 billion being poured into that system over the next five years, really to bring it outside of medical care and to bring it into the realm of social services. And the state's going to be offering medical, some high need, high cost medical patients, really interesting services like housing support, help with like first months, last first and last month's rent, security deposits, you know, going into homes to take out mold if people has asthma, doing things like, you know, building sobering centers in communities where people, homeless people, for example, can get sober rather than passing out on the sidewalk. So really interesting changes are coming and largely they are, yes, a response to this widening homelessness crisis we've seen in California. Homelessness has um, grown worse under Gavin Newsom's watch. He took office and Over that first year, again, this was the first year he took office, so sometimes change takes time, but he did campaign on uh, making sizable and remarkable dent in this crisis. And yet we saw nearly a 7% increase in 2019 to 20. It has just exploded since then. That's amazing, a 7% increase in, uh, in an already very high homeless rate. Let's come back. We were chatting offline about 
this new Medi-Cal program starting in January and how housing is going to be or lack of housing is going to be considered a chronic health care issue. Did I understand that correctly, Angela? It is really it is really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. I've been sort of thinking about how remarkable this transformation is in the state's Medicaid program. It really does, on its face, look at housing as healthcare. It does really write housing, health, I'm sorry, healthcare policy around the belief that if you don't have a roof, your entire life, you're not going to be able to get healthy. You're not going to be able to get anything else together. This is really remarkable as a like value statement for California. Speaking with national Medicaid experts, some of whom you know led some of these changes under the Obama administration, trying to you know encourage states to go more in this direction. They tell me that California, if California is doing this bigger than any other place has tried, if it can get it right, other states are going to follow, and California really is going to become a leader in this space. But I will just say, again, I just think it's important to have a little bit of reality check as much as I can. There's a big risk here. California doesn't have the housing to support this ginormous expansion. The state is working on it. Gavin Newsom's trying to, for example, convert hotels and motels around the state into housing for homeless people. But there are major challenges a lot lie ahead, and I have seen no thoughtful understanding and explanation of how the state is going to get past some of these intractable political issues like nimbyism, not in my backyard. Do we really think that people are going to be accepting new, for example, treatment centers and homelessness housing in their backyards? I'm skeptical and I want to see how this governor is going to address some of the politics around that to really make his plans uh, take off. Well, it sounds as though Again, as we're as we're faced with this recall choice next week, perhaps the governor was well advised to keep the spotlight off meaty issues, complex issues like this new Medi-Cal program coming in January, like the COVID-19 somewhat spotty record and particularly in the Central Valley. Perhaps he was well advised to just stick with calling it a, a Republican recall attempt to turn back. And then, of course, he also got the the benefit of this shocking decision in Texas, which, and the as confirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court, which effectively makes getting an abortion in Texas, which is the second largest state in the country, makes an abortion, makes the availability of an abortion next to impossible. So he had that going in his favor also. And that issue seems to have grabbed the headlines nationally. And of course, I think he has, you know, he's he's been able to speak to that issue. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I will just say the Biden administration today announced that they were going to go after and try to overturn suit. They're going to sue Texas and try to overturn that law. But, you know, I have also found it really fascinating politically to watch this governor play really defense and not talk about sort of his record so far you know i would say i think if people scratch beneath the surface a little bit part of that reason and you never some of this i think we're going to see coming out next year as the governor you know campaigns again as an incumbent if he does make it out of the recall but i think when you scratch beneath the surface a little bit there really is there is success that the governor could point to but the record is more mixed there is major failures that he 
hasn't been able to write. There are major failures that he has not yet owned. And we also haven't seen him really answer those questions to the Capitol Press Corps who covers him regularly. We've seen him largely dodge the Capitol Press Corps, opting for many events in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And so I think that confronting some of these tough questions it can be perhaps easier to, you know, paint a boogeyman in the room and point the attention at what the risk is and how Republicans would bring California into, you know, a 1950s world, they would argue, rather than pointing the sort of shining the mirror on yourself and inviting accountability and inviting, you know, even tough questions that the governor often says he embraces, but in reality does not. Well, Angela, in the remaining few minutes of our podcast, are there any additional thoughts you have for our for our listeners as they ponder their choice, their recall choice, as they have that ballot in front of them, which has to be turned in by next Tuesday, the 14th? You know, I would just say that there these are big issues we're talking about. We haven't even talked about drought or wildfire, but these are other major competing demands this governor is going to have to grapple with. And I think really looking at what he has been able to move the needle on is going to be critical, not only now, but really looking at in a short, short while, we're going to see him campaigning again to keep his governorship if he succeeds in the recall. And so on issues like homelessness, on issues like healthcare access for Californians and climate change, I think it's important to really hold the governor accountable and to really understand how he's moving the needle on these issues. And that's something we're going to be following as well. Well, Angela, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today. Angela, of course, is with Kaiser Health News. And thank you for a a very thorough and data-rich presentation today, both on the COVID issue and the upcoming Medi-Cal reforms coming in January. And we'll look forward to having you back next into the new year to talk about these Medi-Cal reforms. Sounds great. And for my listeners, please take a moment to visit my website to subscribe to the podcast, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com. It's free to do so, and by subscribing, all future episodes will come directly to your inbox. You can also listen to the previous 188 shows, read my book, peruse my blog, send me an email, or leave a comment. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.